Well, some of you have asked, Pastor Summer, we want to see video of, of down south and, and the drive-in services. Well, at this point, we can't do that. And the reason for that is we can only have 10 people, 10 workers there, all right? And we had to stick within the guidelines. So, you know, I was out laying hands on cars and praying for people who flashed their lights because they wanted prayer during the praise and worship. And we've got the pastor's help doing the communion. Communion is passed out as everybody comes in, but going around and receiving the offerings and things. It's, it was a good day. So we'll get pictures in the future. Now, this drive-in service, we're learning, and we'll get better at it as we go. But the drive-in services to me, we've, we've had the equipment ready for several months now because we knew we would have to be going this direction sooner or later. So we've got this beautiful little FM transmitter that covers the parking lot. And long term, until people feel comfortable otherwise, I'll be doing a Saturday morning, 7.30 a.m. drive-in service for our seniors, for our people with health issues and they can't get out in public and things yet. We want to do something to make sure we take care of everybody. And I sure don't mind the extra work, especially for our seniors and people that need healing. You know me, I love to pray for the sick. And the seniors, well, we walked this journey together for a long, long, long time. And I'm not going to abandon our seniors right now because times have gotten a little hard. We'll, we'll do some extra work. There are people that have been faithful all these years, and we're going to stand with you in Jesus' name. Now, I want to teach you today about where it all begins. To this point, I've taken week after week after week learning about the plans of God for our lives, how to recognize God's plan, how to recognize God's voice, how these plans bring change in our lives and change in our souls and focus and direction to our lives. But now as the lockdown begins to end, and that's the good news, I, we, when we're calling our members and we call like 27,000 people every three days, one of the things that we have found is that all but 13% of our people are back at work. The majority are back at work in their jobs, in their offices. The second largest number are uh, working, still work from home. We've got 13% of our people that are still no work, no pay, and we've had 1% laid off. So we're praying for that 1% to get even better jobs. But as we're beginning to move back to work and this, this whole thing's beginning to lift, we keep talking about hitting the restart button, having a restart. Restart in relationships, restart in our careers, restart in our businesses. Many of the business people have come to me and said, Pastor, can I come by? And, and as I get ready to start back up the business, I want you to pray for me and my wife before we get started. I say, yes, just come to the Fortress 91 and let me personally know when you're going to be here. And I'll come down and pray with you and your family or you come up to the office and I'll pray with you. These restarts are important. Now, I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Now, at first glance, you think this is not a restart, but it is very much a restart. Eli was a very old man. He had failed God, not in his own life, but in the lack of discipline he had to his sons. He was a great man of faith, one of the descendants of Aaron, really the last true high priest from the descendants of Aaron. The anointing was taken off of his family after this. But he had scolded his sons and barked at his sons, but never required that his sons stop. And they were corrupt in their handling of the money, and they were corrupt sexually, actually having sex with women at the tent of meeting there at Shiloh. I mean, that, that's the tabernacle in the wilderness. So it's time for a reset. Israel needs a fresh start. 
And so God gives them a fresh start. Eli is this last high priest with the anointing of Aaron on his family. And after this becomes the age of the prophets. This is when God led his people through the prophets. And the first of these prophets was Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision. Have you ever noticed when the word of God is rare, there's no, freak, there's no public manif- prophetic vision being manifested? The people have turned away from God. The people are pulling away. And you can't blame them. When they came to worship at the temple, Eli's sons were stealing their offerings, and Eli's sons were having sex with women, and they were discouraged because of the, of the sins of these leaders. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to go dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called to Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And Eli ran, and he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. Now notice, he's lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. This young man was sleeping in the holy of holies. Verse 6, And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Now there's a scary passage. Here is a young man dedicated to the service of God, but maybe because of all of this corruption that he saw, because, I mean, if he's sleeping in the tent of meeting, if he's sleeping in the tabernacle, he knows what those two sons of Eli are doing, that they're having sex in the holy place. Maybe because of that, we don't know. But this young boy did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called to Samuel a third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. If he calls to you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. He's teaching him how to answer the voice of God. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, Lord. For your servant hears. Three thoughts today. A restart begins by obediently listening to the voice of God. Secondly, a restart begins by declaring yourself for God's will. And then thirdly, a restart begins in prayer and patient working. Now let's start with that first thought. You begin a restart not by making up a new plan. You begin a restart by listening to the voice of God. Now, please forgive me. For some of you, you've spent weeks trying to make a new business plan. And what you need to do is get on your knees and let God teach you a new plan. You need to hear the voice of God. Now, there are some reasons people struggle with this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25, English Standard Version. See to it that you do not refuse him who's speaking. There are people who refuse God's voice. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Weist translation. Constantly be seen to it. This is, this is something you've got to focus on every day. Constantly be seen to it that you do not disavow him who is speaking. For, at, for is as in the case those did not escape 
disavowed any personal relation to him and warned that warned them upon the earth. Much rather shall we not escape who are turning away from the one who is speaking from heaven. Now there's a few words I want you to see here. First word I want you to see is refuse. Do not refuse him who is speaking. We says do not disavow him who is speaking. Now the Greek word there literally means to refuse, to depreciate, to prevent the consequences of an act by protesting against it, to disavow, to decline, to refuse, to avoid. Now there's several applications here. There are many Christians who completely disavow a plan of God. Now disavow means, God, you have no right, you have no relation with me to say this. Yes, you're my God and yes, you saved me, but my business life is my business life. My family life is my family life. God, you have no right to stick your nose into these areas of my life. That's disavow. Then there are many Christians like that. There are many Christians that say, God, you have no right. It's like if somebody walked up to me this morning uh, when I was preaching at South Campus and I was wearing blue jeans and I was wearing a bright blue shirt and I had a big hat on to keep the sun off and they said, you're not dressed properly for the pulpit. Well, you know, I would look at them and say, who died and made you Jesus? Like, what right do you have to say that to me? Now, in the same way, there are Christians that act like that with God. Now, forgive me, brothers and sisters. He's God. He's your creator. He's your savior. He's your sustainer. He's your provider. He's your father. He has every right to say what he wants to say in our lives. So please, let us not refuse. Let us not disavow. But other people, they refuse by depreciation. They speak lightly of what God has said to them. They devalue what God has said to them. It couldn't possibly be for me. God couldn't possibly use me. What God said, you know, is nice, but it's really not that important. They, they treat the voice of God like the divine suggestion. God does not make suggestions. God tells us to obey. God does not make suggestions to us. He tells us to obey. There are some Christians who just politely decline. God calls you to the ministry and you sweetly ignore. You sweetly de decline. I've watched so many people in my life. Now, all of you who own businesses, you understand this. You ask somebody to do something. And they smile and say yes. And then they never do it. They have sweetly, politely refused your voice. Yes, they may have done it very sweetly, but they still refused your voice. They may have done it very sweetly, but they still devalued your voice. They may have done it very sweetly, but they still disavowed your right to speak in their life. That's what this word refuse means. Now, forgive me, brothers and sisters, but God will never say anything to you except what's for our good. Everything he would say to us is for our good. God has no selfish atom in his body. There is nothing in the heart of God. There is no concept. There is no hint of selfishness in God. Everything God would speak to us is for our good. Please, don't refuse his voice. Secondly, we must not harden our hearts to God's voice. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 8. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Now, the Greek word here for harden means to become stiff-necked, to become stubborn, to become difficult. 
It's, it's literally a medical term that means to make dry or hard. It, it would be a term that you would use to describe the difference between fresh fish and dried fish, okay? It means to make dry or hard, to be tough. He said, listen, don't become stubborn like these people did in the rebellion during the time of testing. There are people who just get hard-hearted and stubborn. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody when they're just stubborn? When they know they're wrong, but they don't want to admit they're wrong, and they're just wanting to prove that they're right. They're just being stubborn. It, it's arrogance. It's pride. Now, you can always tell when somebody has a hard heart. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 8, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion where their fa your fathers put me to the test. Now, go back to Exodus 17. In fact, you can write that in your Bible next to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Exodus 17, verses 1 to 7, is the story where this is described. Beginning with verse 1, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me, and why do you test the Lord? Now come on down to verse 7. But he called the name of that place Maasa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, is God among us or not? The quarreling that was among them. A hard-hearted person is always quarreling. A hard-hearted man is always quarreling with his wife, quarreling with his children. A hard-hearted man is always quarreling with everybody at church. A hard-hearted man is always quarreling with people at the office. A hard-hearted man is full of quarrels. Every single thing about a hard-hearted man is a fight. Everything is a quarrel. Now, when you see a hard-hearted person, understand a hard-hearted person is not a person who's listening to the voice of God. God speaks, and they want to quarrel. Have you ever been in a room where whatever anybody said, this guy had a nasty remark or something quarrelsome to say about it? That's a hard-hearted man. When that person hears the voice of God, they treat God just like they treat everybody else. They enter into a quarrel with God. They, they harden their hearts, and the quarrel is the manifestation. The second manifestation of a hard heart when it comes to listening to God's voice, is that we uh, begin to sit in judgment on God. Hebrews 3, verse 9. Where your fathers tested and tried me, and for 40 years saw what I did. Where your fathers tested and tried me. Where your fathers tested and tried me. Now, those two Greek words are similar, but just a little different. The Greek word for tried means to put to the test to see what good or evil may be in something. So it's a judgment on good versus evil. The word tested means to put to the test for the purpose of approving the person who gave the instruction. To put to the test for the purpose of approving the person who gave the instruction. I'm going to test you and see if I approve of you before I ever think about listening to what you say. Weist translation puts it this way very beautifully. When your fathers put me on trial, that's God speaking. When your fathers put me on trial, and when they put me to the test for the purpose of approving me, should I meet the test, and saw my works 
40 years ago. There are so many Christians today, they sit in judgment on God. Young people, straight talk. This Hawk Nelson guy, I have no feelings toward him. He did a nice service for us, and we had a lot of people born again. But now that lead singer from Hawk Nelson stands up and says he's rejected Christianity, he doesn't believe in God, and he said the reason is about all the murder and all the death in the Old Testament. When I read that, I thought, you silly child, who are you to sit in judgment on God? When do Christians get this idea that we have more love than God has? When do Christians get this idea that we have more mercy and more compassion than God does? Who are we to sit in judgment on God? Now, yes, there's a lot of things in life I don't understand. And there's a lot of verses in the Bible that I don't understand. I'm not that smart. When I get to heaven and I've got a totally new mind, maybe I'll understand a little bit more. Maybe as I get older and I can look back and see consequences, I'll understand a little bit more. But I never will sit on judgment on God. How, who do these guys think they are? Who do these people think they are? Well, you know, what God did here is wrong. Really? Who are you to sit in judgment on the Creator and Savior of the world? But now, this is why people don't listen to God. They sit in judgment on God. This is where original sin came from. Do you remember the passage in Genesis chapter 3 when Satan was tempting Eve? In verse 5, or verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, verse 5, for the Lord, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, Eve, sit in judgment on God. God doesn't want what's best for you. You have to learn to choose what's best for you. You can't trust God to choose what's best for you. You can't just listen to what God says about what's best for you. Eve, sit in judgment on God. God doesn't want what's best for you. Now, I, I see so many Christians today, and please forgive me for belaboring the point, but beloved, who are we to sit in judgment on God? Yes, there are things I don't understand, but never will I sit in judgment on a holy God. Never will I sit back and act like, I have more love than God has. I have more mercy than God has. I have more compassion than God has. I have more generosity than God has. Never, ever. So, all right. We need to learn to listen to God, not refuse His voice, not harden our hearts. But notice I use the word learn to listen to God because there are things that you have to learn. Samuel had to learn, this is God's voice. Eli had to say, now, th this is God speaking to you. This is, he had to learn how to listen to that voice. Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, NIV says, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God. you got to do this carefully. You, you can't just half pay attention. English Standard Version says it may be even better. If you will diligently, Exodus 15, 26, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God. If you will diligently listen. Folks, when God speaks, you have to learn like Samuel. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I'm dialed in. You don't listen to God with the TV set on, distracted. You don't listen to God reading another book. 
Maybe his book, but no other book. You don't listen to God with distractions. You have to listen diligently. You have to get dialed into God. You have to pay attention. Do you remember the old Whoopi Goldberg movie where they had a song that says, if you're going to go someplace, if you're going to be somebody, you've got to learn to sit up and pay attention. Well, you know what? If you're going to work with the plan of God, you're going to have to learn to sit up and pay attention. Listen diligently to the voice of God. Now, two of the greatest mistakes I find that I have made in my life and I've watched other Christians make is that either we listen interpreting what God says or we listen putting a calendar stamp on what God says. Now, let me apply both of those for a minute. Do you remember back in Matthew 16 when the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring bread. So their frame of reference their context, their immediate problem is, we have no bread. Verse 8, but Jesus, aware of this, said, O ye of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive, do you not remember the five loaves of the, of the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it then that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware the leaven. Beware the false doctrines. Beware the, the, the little corruption of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now what he was teaching them is that doctrines of demons and false doctrines come into our life very insidiously, like a little bit of yeast that comes in. But that yeast grows and expands until our doctrinal life is a mess. And we, when we talk to people about what we believe, everyone thinks we're crazy. But it starts with that little seed of yeast. He said, you've got to be careful about this. He said, I'm not talking about bread. Notice, they interpreted him based in the context of the problems they were facing. Sometimes you're going to come and God will speak something to you. And you know what? It has nothing to do with the little problem you're focused on. Your little problem that you're focused on is how do I get my... Uh, homemade ice cream, avocado ice cream delivered, still frozen to this person who wants to buy it. I live in, in uh, Fairview and they live in Project 4. How do I get it there before it thaws out? Well, that's your little focus of problem. But that's not what God was talking about. And you have to be very careful that you don't interpret the greatness of God's word through the lens of the smallness of your problems. Let me say that again. That you don't interpret the greatness of what God has said through the lens of the smallness of your problems. Now, the only way I could illustrate this to you is if you ever picked up a pair of binoculars, and if you look through one end, you can see forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. But if you pick it up and you look through the big end, yeah, everything gets really small. That's how we sometimes do. God's got this huge piece of guidance for us. And we interpret it through this little tiny narrow thing called my circumstances right now, right here. Secondly, never interpret God's words by a calendar. Remember with me, Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 27. Son of man, behold, they are the house of Israel, say, the vision that he sees for many days from now and the prophecies of time's far off. Daniel chapter 10, verse 14, for the vision is for days yet to come. 
And remember with me Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Jerusalem right now? Are you going to restore the glory of David's kingdom? And Jesus said to them in Acts 1, verses 6 to 8, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons. It's not for me to know the times or seasons. It's not for me to know when things will end and things will begin. It's not for me to know when the next spiritual season will change in the world. It's not, it's not for me to know these things. That's not my business. God is the one who sets the spiritual calendar. God is the one who controls the calendar. So I had to be very careful that just like the apostles, they knew that Jesus was going to come a second time and he was going to restore the kingdom. And now he's walking among them. He's risen from the dead. Is this the time, Jesus? Are you going to restore the kingdom right now? You know what? We're still waiting for 2,000 years later. See, sometimes God will speak something to you, and it's not for today. It's not even for next week or next month or next year. But everything God has spoken to you about the plans for your life, all of those things will come to pass. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but we don't give up on the plans that God has for us because we put this time restriction on God. We are not God. He is God. He is the decision maker. We are the implementers. Secondly, are you learning? A restart begins by declaring ourselves for God's will. Now, the greatest illustration of this is Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 7. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will. First he said, sacrifices and burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. Now this is all talking about Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus openly declared, I have come to do your will. Jesus was not shy about telling people a public declaration. This is the will of God. I've come to do the will of God. He did it in the good times, and he did it in the bad times. For instance, good times. John chapter 6, verses 36 to 39. In the great early period of Jesus' ministry, when the crowds were all around him, Jesus said, but as I told you, John 6, verse 36, as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. He said, this, this is what I've come to do. I've come to do the will of God. And he's very public about it. He's not a guy who sits back and is shy about it. He's publicly, I've come to do your will. In the bad times, three times, Matthew 26, verses 42 and following, there in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Several of the apostles are there, just a stone's throw away. He pours out his soul to the Father and says, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. This is not a quiet, private thing with Jesus. He publicly stands before people. I have come to do your will. Now, brothers and sisters, if you're going to do the plan of God for your life, you need to begin to stand up and declare a public declaration. I have come to do his will. This is God's will for my life. If God has called you to be a doctor, then you stand up and you publicly declare, 
I come to do His will. I will be a doctor. If God has called you to be a pastor, then you stand up and you publicly declare, God has called me. I have come to do His will. If God has called you to start a business, then you publicly declare to your family to begin with and to your go group, here I am. I've come to do His will. God wants me to set up this business. You put your words out there. The confession of faith flows out of you. You're here to do the will of God, whatever that will might be. If, you're, if God's will is for you to be a school teacher, then you stand up and say, God's will for my life is to be a school teacher. Here I am, Lord. I've come to do your will. And you declare this publicly. You have to learn to get a public declaration about the will of God. In this time of restart, you should be looking at your kids and saying, this is what God wants me to do. This is what God wants our family to do. And publicly declare that to the family. Sit there in your connect group and say, this is what God has called me to do. This is what God has set, a, set, a, set ahead for my life to do. I don't know how long it will take me for me to do it, but this is what I'm going to do. And you begin to declare, I am here to do your will. I mean, please, look, look at Paul. Just, just, just for a thought, look at Paul. 1 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul called by the will of God. 2 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Ephesians 1 verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. 2 Timothy 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. He kept putting his words out there. Now let me show you why. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. Let me read it to you, ESV, and then I'll read it to you, NLT. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passion, but for the will of God. New Living Translation. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in the body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil desires, but rather for the will of God. When you begin to declare yourself for the will of God, it is amazing how many uh, evil human desires, human passions just begin to drop off of your life. Spiritual declarations have been made. I will live the rest of my life for the will of God. Now, I, I've known some men in my life that were really, really, really bad people. And there came a point in their life when they got a hold of this truth. And when they got a hold of this truth, they said, from this day longer, I will no longer live for evil human desires. I live for the will of God. And I've watched those men do some absolutely amazing things in the world. Because that's what God is like. I mean, please. God's, look, look, I mean, please, does anybody get any worse than Saul of Tarsus? Anybody any worse than Saul of Tarsus? I mean, how would you like to have been named after Saul to begin with? I mean, you know, this crazy king. Here he is, a horrible man, breathing out violence, put people to death just for believing in Jesus, bankrupt families, destroyed businesses of Christians, People had to leave. He drove every believer out of Jerusalem with the exception of the 12 apostles. You talk about a thorough job. He did a thorough job of persecution. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, 
He's put away these worldly passions. And he has declared himself for the will of God. And he changes a world. He changes a world. What could be done if you and I would just learn to declare ourselves for the will of God? Now let me close with two more thoughts. This restart that we're moving into right now, this restart requires prayer and it requires work. Now let me illustrate prayer first of all. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 19. To those who say, let God hurry, let him hasten his work so that we may see, let it approach. Let the plan of the Holy One of Israel come so that we may know it. Notice they were praying for God's plan to come. How often do you hear me pray, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus? A very beautiful biblical prayer about the return of the Savior. Yes, this is God's plan. But just because it's God's plan doesn't mean that we don't need to pray for it. So we pray, let the plan of the Holy One of Israel come so that we may know it, that we may experience it. Some of you, Lord, let your plan come that I may have my new home. Lord, let your plan come for my promotion. God, let your plan come for my new business or business expansion. Lord, let your plan come. You pray for God's plan to come, but then you also work. Now, let me give you kind of a, a silly illustration, but it's a good one. In Exodus chapter 17, as the people of Israel were leaving the land of Egypt and coming to the promised land, a group called the Amalekites really gave them trouble. And the Lord said in verse 14, Exodus 17, the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. This is something you had to remember. And make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. Now, it didn't happen right away. But God said, you know what? I have a plan. The Amalekites will be completely destroyed one day. I have a plan. Now, it didn't happen for a long time. So he said, make sure you, you write it down so the people don't forget. When did it come to pass? 1 Samuel chapter 15, beginning with verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Go. He said, go attack. Go attack and totally destroy. But God, that was your plan. Yes, but you have to do it. Now, let me use some more positive illustrations. When Jesus wanted to raise Lazarus from the dead, he said, roll away the stone. He didn't, he didn't go and push the stone away. He said, you go roll away the stone. But Lord, he stinketh. I said, roll away the stone. They rolled away the stone. They did what they could do. And then Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Wow. They did what they could do. God did what he could do. Every plan of God is a partnership. Now, some people are really lousy partners. They want God to do everything. They don't, other people want God to be a silent partner. Just be quiet and send money, God. But that's not the partnership. The partnership is not, God, you be silent and send money. The partnership is, God, you do all the work. The partnership is, God does what he can do. And you do what you can do. 
Roll away the stone. Peter, let down your net on the other side. If Peter had not let down the net, there would have never been a supernatural catch of fish. After the death and resurrection at the Sea of Galilee, let down the net on the other side. They let down the net. It's only in this partnership of us doing what we can do and God doing what, we, what God can do that miracles begin to happen. That that supernatural business will begin to function. That that house and lot will begin to be purchased. Oh, Pastor Summerall, God promised me a house and lot. Great. Are you saving money? No, because God said he'd give me a house and lot. And you're not saving money? No. Then, then you'll never have it. God will do what he can do. You will do what you can do. This is the partnership. God handles the supernatural. We handle the natural. See, I, I'm a very unspooky Pentecostal, and I, I like what one man said to me one day. He said, Pastor Summerall, I know you're Pentecostal, and you believe in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and miracles. He said, but you're not spooky. You're not weird. I said, what? He said, you're not a spooky, weird Pentecostal. Now, I don't know what a spooky, weird Pentecostal is, but this is what I know about miracles. And this is what I know about God's supernatural blessings. God will always do what he can do, but we must do what we can do. You can save money. You can begin to work on a plan for a house. We do what we can do. God does what he can do, and his plan is fulfilled. All right, let me pray for you today. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I lift to you, your sons and daughters. We're moving out of this lockdown, Lord. And we're hearing scary stories about not only our economy, but the economies of the world. But God, I thank you. There is no recession in heaven. There is no depression in heaven. And that is our source. You said you provide for us according to your riches in glory through Christ Jesus. Lord, we're not bound by the economies of this world. Let your provision come into the sons and daughters of God. Let your hand of blessing rest upon all they set their hand to do. Let this be a great time of harvest. Father, I'm awed at the faithfulness of your people. Lord, and you have watched every sacrificial seed that has been sowed. You've watched the faithfulness of every tither all during this thing, Lord, as they set it aside week after week. Father, let there be a distinction. Let those who have not walked in obedience recognize the value of obedience as they see your blessings upon those who have walked in faithfulness. You promise in your word, Lord, that you'd show yourself faithful to those that are faithful. Let your faithfulness flow in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for letting me be a part of your life today. And we'll get started again tomorrow. At 6 a.m., you say, Pastor, how long are we going to keep going with uh, morning devotions until we make sure everybody's back at work and everything is going? And some of you are asking me to keep it going permanently. So we'll have to work on that a little bit and see what we can do because you know what? I'll tell you a secret. 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning at my age is a wonderful time to get up. 3 to 3.30 in the morning? Sometimes that's pushing it. Sometimes at night, I sit down in my chair when, we, when I get home, and Sister Bev's got something on, and I'm sound asleep. <laughs> so we'll see what we can do. But this is something, if, if this is meeting a need, we will figure out a way 
to do it because all we want to do is give ourselves to you and be a blessing to you. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 6 a.m.